Hello. <laughs> What's wow? Totally rare, gotcha. rare instrument. Gotcha first. I know. Yeah. I know I'm on my back heel because of the damn uh, internet crap. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. And a one, and a two, and a three. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to Couch Co-op, a video game podcast. It's basically a book club only for us video game nerds. My name's Matt. I'm joined by Jack and Dave. And today we're going to discuss the most annoying video game puzzles we've encountered. Before we dive into that, we're going to do a couple of quick segments. First, uh, gentlemen, first and foremost, the Mario movie finally launched. This was one we briefly touched on because we all grew up, obviously, with Mario it being Nintendo kids. But... What are your thoughts on the reception to this film? Like, there's a number of different things I've been hearing, both good and bad. Jack, I think you're the only one who knows of anybody who's actually attended the movie. What are your thoughts thus far? Well, I think it's just really funny. Like, two very different approaches, but The Last of Us comes and drops on HBO and is just a huge success. And then couple months later mario brothers drops and it um i don't know if you guys saw this but uh you know obviously inflation is is a factor but it broke the record for uh most most uh money uh made at a animated feature opening weekend 200 million i think something like that i just think it's like just from a purely fiscal perspective it's just like god damn like video game um adaptations are are really kind of on fire right now. Dave, what are you thinking so far on this one? Um, I've, I've only seen like the trailers, which honestly looks fantastic as far as animated movies go. And I really kind of like the design for all the characters and the worlds. Um, I, I saw some stuff about how bad the movie was like, but I figured that was clickbait. And, you know, just the fact that it's got this huge opening weekend um, one of the largest for an animated movie, I think, says a lot of things. Granted, inflation should be probably accounted for, but um, it just looks like high-quality animation. The fact that Jack Black is Bowser, too, is probably a big pull. I think I think the biggest complaint that I've seen about this movie is just that they played it exceptionally safe. There's nothing, like, really interesting or creative about it. They just you know, basically threw a ton of money into making a very safe, they hired a bunch of really famous people and, um, and basically they made a movie for eight year old kids instead of 40 year old, you know, critics who want to relive replaying super Mario brothers. But I have heard that kids really like this movie. Um, it's, it's like, it's a legitimate thing. And I think that's, I don't know, for me, it's pretty cool. My, my kids both went and saw it with their, uh, with their grandfather the other day. And to have them like excited about something that I was excited about over 30 years ago. Um, I don't know. It's pretty cool. You know, I've got super Mario Odyssey. I never finished that game, uh, but I'll probably throw it back on. Uh, one of the first levels that Kennedy ever beat was, um, was the first level. Of super, it was the original super Mario brothers. Uh, I was like, I remember she was like four and I was really excited that she beat level one, one. And um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's like, 
I don't think this movie is anything exceptional, but it is kind of cool that it's kind of reinvigorating the legacy of something that meant so much to me when I was a kid. Yeah, I think a big part, because Dave, I saw what you were talking about too. A lot of uh, critics are kind of jumping on this bandwagon of really shitting on this movie. And I think some of that is for the clickbait nature of it, because it's so easy to make a case that like, oh, this is just obviously just soulless garbage, just meant for children. And, you know, you can make a case. I, I believe this is Illumination is the production company, which they are kind of notorious for not living up to that level we expect from like say a pixar that you know has made some timeless animated classics these are more just about as straightforward as you get animation like make it shiny make it bright make it so the kids like it but you're not going to get any like deeper meaning to this this isn't going to give you any of those like memories that you cherish and pass along to your children it's just going to be a nice big dumb commercial and I think that that's what's fascinating about this movie in this era we're kind of in where they can finally do these things good, which we all grew up in an era where like if they did try to make this and it was absolute dog shit, but they can make it just good enough to make the kids love it and also steer it just enough away from being just a total t- ad because that was the big thing about our generation growing up is everything was kind of a cleverly disguised ad to sell us shit. Like everything I loved and held dear was Transformers, Nintendo, all this garbage that's being like funneled towards us because of, you know, them getting a little more lax on some of the laws in terms of advertising towards kids. Now there's a little more morals involved where like, at least they say like, look, they gave us the MCU. This seems like the inevitable next phase. It's like, you know, Nintendo has had this, you know, murderer's row of just IP that they've sat on forever and kept very close hand on. And honestly, you can make so many spinoffs and eventually even lead it up to a big Smash Bros. mother movie at the end. And I think people would be in for it. And it doesn't hurt that you can attract all these big A-list actors that can probably record most of it from home. Um, which is a huge deal when it comes to scheduling conflicts and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think see this slowing down, at least in the animated front. I don't see a lot of the live action video game adaptations working out as well. Personally, I think Last of Us is kind of the exception, not the rule. But that that's my take. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I do agree with what you said. That, however, with the caveat that I think with The Last of Us with Super Mario Brothers, it's just it's giving Hollywood the green light to make more ambitious video game adaptations. And I, I think that's just really cool because, you know, I mean, I'm, there's so many of these worlds that I would like to see done right. And let's be honest, throwing a ton of money at something is, is one of like the two or three things that make something really good. <laughs> so I think, too, with uh, the Nintendo ones, there's there's some potential very akin to what we saw with the MCU where some of the better entries were kind of the lesser known uh, heroes and or franchises just because you could do more with them without people freaking out. Like uh, one of the ones I've seen on some of the message boards is uh, Star Fox, which I've mentioned a few times is a game I grew up loving, but I think that that would be an awesome potential for a jump off if they continue to go this route. Cause the next 
obvious ones would be a Donkey Kong or a Legend of Zelda uh, animated one, which seems like no brainers based on how much money they're making off of this. But if you were to also green light like a lesser known one, like a Star, Bo- Star Fox or an F-Zero, you could actually do some incredible stuff if uh, given a, a young director an opportunity. I'll be shocked if we don't see Red Dead Redemption sometime in the next two years. Oh, an announcement. Well, Jack Black's like been pushing that wagon, or at least he started pretty recently. He said a movie, but I no brainer. I think a TV series would probably be the best way to execute that. Yeah, and Absolutely. and the thing is, it's like you don't need all the insane special effects. Like this is all going to be stage prop, like which is probably going to be a lot cheaper than the animation, you know. But I mean, you put the money in, and you have like elaborate you know, oh, elaborate yeah. settings, elaborate action set pieces. Um, and th- that's the thing, like n- never in the past has like big money been consistently thrown at these kind of projects with a couple exceptions. I think you, you're absolutely dead on with that one, because, especially when you consider like, I mean, how many sets and honestly settings have already been built for like walking dead shit down Georgia, which gives you amazing tax breaks to film to begin with and then on top of that you'll probably be able to get at a fair rate depending on how god of war does because i have a feeling god of war is going to tank pretty bad Um, (laughs) you think so huh i I think it'll be watched sets yeah that's true uh the westworld sets which oh yeah Mm -hmm. you know decommissioned but yeah like yeah easy to pull those out yeah but sorry i derailed you but yeah ragnarok uh that that's like so much <laughs> on a wire, you know, like it's going to be tough to pull off. I, I mean, look yet to be seen. I, I shouldn't crap on it yet because we know nothing, but I, I just personally, I don't see that one doing as well, especially coming off of all the hype train of last of us. So um, I, I just would hate to be the next series. We'll just put it that way. That has to follow <laughs> that up as a video game entry <laughs> and trying to win over fans. I'm sure like it'll be received okay, but much like, you know, the you, we just saw Amazon managed to muck up like Lord of the Rings basically, which seemed impossible 10 years ago. So, I mean, I'm sure it made money hand over fist, but you know, it also wasn't like anything that I've heard anybody talking about the water cooler as opposed to say last of us or even this Mario movie. So. All yeah, right. I watched it. It was like, man, so, so. So, so, well, I'll take so, so. All right, boys. Well, next phase here, let's get into what have you been playing lately? Uh, Dave, you and I are pretty similar. So, Jack, why don't you take it away to start us off? Well, I finished the Resident Evil 2 remake, which I started the very first week that everything got shut down for the pandemic. I've talked about this on the pod multiple times before, but... um since then, we played Biohazard. All of us played Village, and I really like those games. I think they were just, I mean, some of the best experiences I had last year. And so when uh, RE4 Remake strolled out with a 93 on Metacritic a couple months ago, uh, I started to get pretty excited. Um, we are way too cheap to be you know, paying 60 bucks for a video game. <laughs> so 
I think we all kind of decided like maybe that would be a good one for Halloween. Um, but I don't know. Are you guys excited for for Resident Evil Four? I've been uh, kind of staying away from it, like just because I do anticipate wanting to play it for Halloween, so I don't want to jump too far into it. And it, it's probably the most renowned out of all the Resident Evils, at least post, you know, Resident Evil One, Two, and Three. So. Um, yeah, no. I like I said, this is a game I got targeted for October. So Yeah, I'm dying to play four. Um I never actually played the fourth game. I, I sat on a couch next to a buddy as he played through it. So I've experienced the game in that way, but I've never actually played it. And as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the games I would consider for the Pantheon of all-time greats based on the reception it's received on multiple systems and now in multiple iterations. And everything I've heard about this remake is that they did it justice in every way. So I'm super uh, excited to give it a shot, but I'm also super excited to give it a, a minute to come down in price and playing it maybe in uh, October. But uh, no, I, I, I'm excited to play it. I mean, honestly, with all the remakes, I, I am intrigued because I appreciate what Capcom's doing in that because I think it's a cool idea to take these amazing titles and reinvigorate them for a new generation of fans who can really learn to appreciate how we could fall in love with IP that was made up of terrible blocks and pixels and, and really, really bad voice acting. So uh, yeah, all for it. And movement. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I was pretty much salivating when I saw how well received that game was, but I got to say um, resident evil Two the remake and props to Capcom because they gave me the uh, PlayStation five upgrade for free, which that's pretty damn cool. Um, didn't hit me the same way. Those uh, the village or biohazard did um, Really well regarded, even higher. So I looked up, you know, the the ratings and even even better ratings than than those two games got. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's a remake. And so, like, a lot of the people who had this nostalgia for the original, particularly like the critical community, which are hardcore gamers, saw how well they transitioned the game into this third uh, third person view. And we're just really kind of blown away by that. Well, I don't have that history with the game. To me, um, I liked I liked it quite a bit. Um, it had this consistent tension. Um, you you go through these halls. It's a way more straightforward, like zombie game, and it's this gameplay loop where pretty much you go around, you collect things, and you're like constant tension, constant tension until you get back to like your little hub area, and then you're like, oh, oh, and that's pretty much the gameplay loop for the entire game, which was solid. But I just felt like there was so much more variety and pace. It was way more like this, like, grindhouse, like, goofy, just wonkiness that that the other two games had that I had a lot more fun with. The pacing was all over the place in the other two games. Um, the the scenes, it, it wasn't as consistently scary, but holy cow, when they go for it in Village and Biohazard, I mean, you know, when that, like, giant-ass baby chases you in the village like way scarier than anything i experienced in the re2 uh um 
remake. So, well, bottom line, look, this was a good game, um, but without that whole nostalgia fueling my perspective, I'm a little bit more tempered on my expectations for RE4 now because if if that same kind of thought process is going towards, you know, if if that's one of the reasons why this was so well regarded – I don't know. I'm 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 curious where they go uh, on the original IP uh, for this franchise because um, that that seems to be more up my alley. Yeah, I'm curious too because honestly, what I saw and Dave, I think you're the only one who's played it. But from the Village DLC, like it looks the direction they're going to take the franchise may be a real kind of departure from what they've been establishing with this new era of biohazard and going into village so um i what rating did you end up uh having for resident evil 2 remake jack oh i'm scared to share this because i'm gonna like really piss off anybody who (laughs) really liked this game uh for me it was a seven and um look you know i always say it's it's i'm not objective you know this is just my enjoyment level uh i like this game but it was very just it was very just steady throughout. It didn't, it didn't throw anything at me that I was like, holy shit, that was something I'll remember a year from now. I mean, that's fair. I mean, like you said, if you don't have if that nostalgia factor uh, playing into it, that's definitely going to hamper your experience slightly because uh, there's certainly a lot of components of Resident Evil 2 that are pretty batty and over the top and dumb. So uh, that, that doesn't surprise me, honestly. It is kind of funny. Like, I play so many you know, like good narrative games lately. And then this one comes through and the relationships in the game are laughably bad. How just, I, I mean, you have to play it to understand it, but it's just, yeah. Well, as someone who played to the original after having played the first one, like this was such a step up from the first story. And, you know, I don't think like dynamic storytelling was really like a linchpin within the gaming industry at that point. I mean, there's games that definitely, you know, were utilizing that tool a bit more than others. But like nowadays, it seems like having a dynamic storyline with like good cutscenes that seem to blend in has become like a standard now due to, you know, just people evolving within the industry. So you know, like you said, without that nostalgia and the fact that, like, Resident Evil 2 was a game that was very much, like, fucking crazy, you know, because the first one's in this mansion, kind of a puzzle thing, and then this one comes out on two discs, so you got two different sides of the story, and, you know, it's way more action-heavy in a city, so I, I think the nostalgia link was a huge buff for them on that game. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dave. Um this was like a kid growing up with Resident Evil 1 and, and absolutely loving it. This was like that leap you saw with like Terminator going into T2 or Alien to Aliens where it was like you established this amazing universe that you wanted more of. And then, then the sequel comes along and not only does it give you more, but builds upon it and gives you 10 times the action and just like ups like every category that you were didn't even think was possible. And that was definitely that experience of going from original Resident Evil to Resident Evil 2 back in the PlayStation era. So, um, yeah, obviously you're not going to gain that same experience here with a remake of a game that came out however many years ago. Well, it kind of sucks because between the three of us, we've all played Resident Evil 2, but I've played only the remake and you guys only played the original. So none of us have like the perspective. That's what I was really hoping for is like to get 
to get somebody's thoughts on like if they felt like that if that being able to see the original and how much they changed and um if that really kind of led them to really love this new game but we don't have that here so <laughs> Uh, we may eventually. They just have to add it to the free catalog, and then we'll we'll give it a shot. There you go. <laughs> All right, seven for Resident Evil remake. That will be one that I will file away to bring up down the road God when you piss it. me off, Jack. So moving along, Dave, what have you been playing lately? I already know, but why don't you share? Oh yeah, something? yeah. Um, uh, I'm playing Witcher, and I'm going through the storyline for the third time. Uh, but now on the PS5 uh, remastered version, which, um, you know, I gotta say, like, I'm I'm gonna save more of this for when we do like the podcast for it. But uh, this version is way glitchier than the PS4 version. Um, there's a lot of uh, clipping issues that I've noticed. Uh, certain parts of the map will start like kind of getting bright and start strobing. Uh, I feel like. There's just some things that are lagging, so I don't think they really optimized it too well. And I kind of learned that, like, the last update kind of fixed some things but screwed up even more things. So it it definitely has its issues, but I'm running it on the graphics-intensive mode where it's got the ray tracing. And when it's working, which is, like, about 96% of the time, it's even more gorgeous than the first game was. Uh going through the swamps as, you know, dusk is setting, you know, or, like, when the sun's coming up, it's almost always the best points in the game, just like it was in the last one, but it's even more beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I've been having fun with that. Uh, I just got to Novigrad, and I just got uh, started talking to Triss, so I kind of started delving into that, and I've activated some other storylines. Um Definitely streamlining my experience on this one more because I've already got 100% on the PS4 version and I, I'm not really interested in going through that again. But it, it's been exciting playing again. Like, I wasn't sure I'd be able to, like, you know, I threw it up in the air and you guys accepted it, the, the challenge. But then I was like, man, do I feel like kind of going after this again so soon, relatively? And um, I'm glad I did because there's things I'm missing or... You know, there's things, like, I know where to look out for, and I'm kind of seeing, like, you know, if I can trigger things in a different way or whatnot, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun one. That's why I've been playing, too. So that's why I, I'm up to speed where Dave's at in this game, and I, I think I'm just a bit ahead of you, so uh, moving at a similar pace. Um, I have to say, like, there's a lot to be said with this game, and certainly we'll all get together and record an episode or two, probably a minimum two, uh, to discuss our thoughts. But um, one thing I am appreciating, aside from just the obvious, like, gorgeous nature of of the PS5 remake, is um, it's just really easy to pick up and play, like, on a time crunch for me. Like, I like how, the, how close it is to feel like I've completed a number of quests and kind of cross them off my board and, and feel, like, content with Cause some days, like I maybe only get like a half an hour, an hour where I can actually sit down and play something. It's nice feeling a sense of a minor accomplishment within that window. Um, which is remarkable considering how massive this game is. I think the monster contracts have a big part of it in the second quest. 
you know, like, so having those where you can really just go do something that's about 30 minutes long, you know, and like you kind of learn something or, you know, you added something into your like crafting materials or whatever. But there's a lot of checkpoints in this game. I mean, on any given mission, you know, you'll get seven or eight checkpoints if it's if it's a more in-depth mission, which Matt I'm having the same experience where, you know, in my day, my day to day goings, I get interrupted pretty constantly. Um, and most games I'll like turn it off. I'll shut it down. And this one, a lot of the times I'm just content to hit the start button and I'll walk away for 20, 30 minutes and I'll come back. I mean, I call away for an hour sometimes and come back. So, um, outside of the issue that I cannot play this in front of my kids, <laughs> because you never know what's going to pop out of someone's mouth or somebody's head's going to pop off. Quinny ratted on me and told Nicole that that people's heads pop off in this game. Nicole's like, give me dirty looks. <laughs> what are you talking about? That never happens. Um, I'll just say I talked a lot of shit uh, leading into this game, gave Dave a really hard time, but there was a legitimate reason that um, I – told Dave initially that I I would go for it if you wanted to play this and that has really come to fruition and that that is that for as many things that I really dislike about this game I absolutely um can understand why certain why why a lot of people think it's like the best game of all time because there are certain things that it does so well better than any other video game I've played um particularly the just how many interesting character NPCs there are. I think it is unparalleled in this, this type of video game. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying, really enjoying the game. Uh, Gotta say, you know, eight, eight years ago, I looked it up. I, I played this eight years ago and I gave it up. And what's funny is I almost gave it up again at the exact same point, right after the, uh, well, maybe about three missions after uh, the bloody Baron, um, for some reason, there's a point there that makes me really start hating the game. But because uh, this is the pod, I pushed through it, and I'm glad I did because I've, I've been enjoying uh, it in the 10 or so hours since. Yeah, no, they they crafted the game equivalent of the Everlasting Gobstopper with this one. Like, I can understand why people do play it forever and constantly replay it. You know, Dave, you said you got a hundred percent on this title and you're willing to pick it up again. Um, and, and I get it. Like I personally am excited to slog away my hundred more hours I have remaining and move on to other titles, but I can understand if you really want to get immersed into a gaming world. I mean, it's really kind of this or civilization. And for some people, this <laughs> is a hell of a lot more beautiful and hell of a lot more exciting at times but um, I, I actually think a better compare would be like persona 5 you know where you've got a bunch of different, that's also like, fair but, but um, the thing with like persona 5 is it 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 doesn't have like the crazy amount of density of interactions between just interesting people like you know, and the fact is, this game, when you go past NPCs, um, you can hear them conversate about activities that you did, or they might tell you where a hidden treasure is if you listen to them enough. Uh, one of them, I got this quote where after you defeat a water hag, you know, during the Bloody Baron, one of the 
NPC goons that's with the Red Barons is like, that's what happens when you give a woman too much hooch. Best to drink it all for yourself, you know? <laughs> he sat there and I just had, uh, I just was cracking up. <laughs> I will <laughs> say the, uh, the water hag, so you better drink it all for yourself. It's, it's just like so fucking. It, it feels like that world, though. You know, it's like utterly not PC in today's world to say something like that. But you know, it's like that's where the iniquity comes to. You're coming from a really shitty point of like reality. <laughs> I will say, I don't think this game would have been made in the same way now as it did ten years ago. I think that, um, yeah, for you just gave one example of how women are represented in this game. I was going to say that's the the biggest knock I have on this title. And I, I don't think we need to delve into it too far. Cause as a fan of wrestling in the 1990s, like I've been subjugated to this sort of just over the top, just ridiculous nature of, of marketing towards young adolescent boys. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny on one end, but it's really, really embarrassing at the other, particularly when you go on certain quests where you just, like you said, Jack, it's very much, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to take care of this task. I must, you know, find some witch. And it's like, oh, it just so happens that the witch is modeled after somebody who's apparently dances in the pool on the weekend. So, you know, it's and immediately uh, wants to seduce you. <laughs> of course, naturally. So, um, um my biggest knock would be that I think this is the most elaborately disguised fetch quest game I have ever played. It is, it is one long fetch, fetch quest there. You know, most missions have like six to seven fetch quests built into like a single mission. So. Uh, yeah, no, it's true, but <clears throat> I think it's, it's like, covered up so well because like the story and the characters like you said the characters definitely make up for the fact that you just retrieve this like cursed book for them but you know you <laughs> i mean and the thing the is most... you guys are still like very much in the shallow end of the pool you know which you know i'm excited because you know we're going to be talking about all the different choices that we made and how it kind of affects things down the road and i think it'll be dope because by the time we get into the end game of it um you know, we'll have like very similar experiences, but with different outcomes and different characters involved and that kind of whatnot. So, yeah, that that's been the best factor to it. And it actually like, I think the tone too just fits more for that studio. Like at my only other experience, obviously was cyberpunk prior to this and, and even removing the bugs, like it just felt like they were trying to, and I'm sure a lot of it, honestly, was a combination of what you mentioned, Jack, them trying to kind of mature a bit, how they were marketing their world and building and how the NPCs interact and everything. But I think the way they went about it just lost so much of the charm of this one, because in this one, it really is like they, they clearly took some liberties with just being over the top and having fun at times. And there's a lot of things that have like clear names that are just like, you know, paying tribute to various different pop culture components that inspired whatever missions or ideas or components to it. Like, I feel like that's when they're at their, their best. And when they're trying to send too many messages or create some narrative that has like super depth to it, I think they have potential to do that in a limited basis, but they also have to have that other side of it, which is kind of the world that I'm enjoying is just like, it goes 
oscillates so freely between being over the top and dumb and fun and super serious. And I think that's a mark of really good writing in a game. I mean, I was on the mic with Jack a few nights ago playing it and I went and I was going through the bloody Baron's manner, like looking for clues on what happened with his wife and daughter. And I go downstairs and I had a conversation like, Hey, go get the gimp up or go get the gimp and the gimp sleeping. They're like, we'll wake him up anyways. And I was like, I stopped and I was like, holy shit, that's a line from Pulp Fiction, like straight off the bat, you know, and I told Jack about it. It's like, so walking through Novigrad, I've definitely been more like keen to try to pick up on side shit now because, you know, that's what I'm looking for. And that was something I didn't do in the first game. It was just go straight for the quest marker, you know, and I got to just ran through people and all that kind of stuff. So taking my time on stuff now. And I appreciate that. I have to really pay attention to a lick of dialogue and I still get the gist of what's going on for the most part because I can only imagine how much longer this game would be if I actually read all the the tomes you acquire or actually paid attention during the conversations. And That's funny because I have been paying close attention to the conversation and I've re- read pretty much every book that I've come across Uh I think it's the best part of the the game, personally, the the narrative. Because, um, well, anyway, we'll get more into it when we get into it. That's really fascinating. That's like you and I go completely polar opposite ends in that one. So, you know, I uh, I only work like twenty hours a week right now. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I'm excited that both you guys are starting. You know, like appreciating this game because I I would have felt horrible if this something that you guys utterly hated and it was like had to commit to it or had to scrap it because it just fell apart so bad on the mic the other night i told i told dave my equation that um i i went online and i looked up his cuphead time which was nine hours and i added it to his inscription time which was 21 hours and i came up with 30 i'm like i just gotta play 30 hours of this game (laughs) (laughs) well dave you raise an Excellent segue into our topic at hand, which is most annoying puzzles, because Lord knows that Jack, our resident puzzle fan, is always keen to recommend a terrible title that will (laughs) bore you to tears if you give it the time of day, as I made the horrible, horrible mistake of doing with The Witness, which is kind of my inspiration for this title. What? In fact, I would almost go so far to list every puzzle in the game as my entries in this. But out of a sign of the slight bit of respect I have towards our friend Jack here, I instead decided to craft my own list of titles outside of The Witness. But I am dying to hear your takes on this, gentlemen. I, I have puzzles from The Witness on this pod, so... Perfect. Proves <laughs> my point. Dave, why don't you start us off? I'm dying to hear what you have for most annoying video game puzzles that you've experienced. All right. So this one, uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this cast before, but Tomb Raider 2, like, still haunts me from my, I, man, was it late junior high or early high school? But either way, um, my buddy just got a PlayStation after trading in his Dreamcast, which, you know, ended up changing my life in a lot of ways. And uh, we got Tomb Raider 2 because, you know, she had the big old pointy tits and it was kind of like the biggest game out and all that kind of stuff. And I remember um, on level four, it's called Opera House. And basically the whole level is this like giant puzzle, which I think most of them are. But this one was just 
just a bit more of a pain in the ass because you had to get like the circuit board, you had to get this relay box, and if you didn't know what you're doing, like you just got stuck in this opera house. And I remember me and my friend spending probably a good six or seven hours, like late into the night, falling asleep, and then trying to again in the morning, trying to figure out like where we had to go, and we got stuck behind a curtain. We didn't know how to get the curtain up. I don't know if any of you guys played that game or can even remember it that deep, but man, we just ran around that shitty, shitty ass polygonal like fucking level. And, you know, but you know, the thing is like, despite how shitty it is, this is kind of like where you start to see like, uh, level design and puzzle structure starting to like really merge in a 3D world. You know, so I can understand why it's shitty. It's because no one's really had to develop something like this before or even really tried it on this scale. But man, that that thing still frustrates me to this day. And, you know, it's not number one. You know, I don't even know if I got these ranked, but that was definitely the first one that popped up in my head when this uh, subject came out was Tomb Raider 2 on the original PlayStation Level 4 Opera House. It just how absolutely frustrating it was and not very intuitive. And I think that's the biggest part of puzzles and games is like, you know, Witcher 3 has a few, you know, but if you really pay attention, you can figure out what the puzzle is. And that's kind of a good mark of a puzzle where it's, as long as they give you something that really allows you to turn the key and kind of move on to the next part of it. But this one was just, it's just like the beginnings of like 3D, you know, virtual world puzzles and that kind of stuff and they honed it later on to the tomb raiders i couldn't really think of anything in the newer tomb raiders that you know put me on to this kind of point because i think they've just gotten so good at it but yeah man that that fucking opera house drove me nuts as a as a kid and as a gamer i like what you said there dave about how the the puzzles the ones that are frustrating are the ones that really just aren't intuitive and that's something that always pisses me off is when I get completely stumped by a puzzle. And, and when I play puzzle games, um, I really try and beat them without using any guides. And so every now and then I just get completely stumped. And it's the most frustrating is when you see the answer and you're still like, oh, I'm not an idiot. That was just not well constructed. Um, on the other hand, there are puzzles like uh, the mansion level uh, from Fester's Quest. Now, Fester's Quest is a old school NES game that I remember being like really cool when I was a kid. I think I was like seven or eight when I was playing it. But I looked up a review today, uh, research, uh, Nintendo Life gave it a one out of 10, which I thought was pretty awesome. And uh, I remember as a kid thinking this game was really cool. And then I'd hit these 3D mansion levels where basically it was a maze. You had to go through these white halls. And I remember just being completely lost in these in these mazes, so much to the point where I stopped playing the game. I, I couldn't do it. And so much to my embarrassment, I looked up the videos of how to get through these mansions uh, today, earlier today, and found that it's like two turns. <laughs> so apparently seven or eight-year-old me was just a complete dumbass. I couldn't figure out how to get like two turns through a maze to get through these mansions. Uh, yeah, so that kind of that kind of made me laugh. I got some really, you know, complicated puzzles that I'll talk about later on that, but I just thought it was funny that, I don't know, when you're, how just dumb you are. And I see with my kids now, like, they do stuff in the video games, I'm just like, how do you not figure this out? And, and now I get it, because apparently I couldn't take a left, right, left to figure out this mansion. Uh, 
I remember that game well, and for the exact same reason you just described that that brought me back big time. So um, I, I feel your pain on that, and it's one of those titles that pissed me off so damn much that there's a small part of me that almost wants to download the emulator, pick up that title, and just go back and do that just to see if I can beat the stupid thing now that I'm an adult. But I probably won't because that game was shit. <laughs> <laughs> But I do remember playing it and thinking it was okay as a kid. So, and maybe that just proves that kids are dumb too. But. Yeah, yeah, I think kids are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, speaking to what you had mentioned, Dave, about uh, puzzle not being intuitive at all, there was a title for the PlayStation One called Silverload that was this really shitty hybrid of a point and click slash rail sh- shooter, but it had the most amazing like setting. Because it was like a dark cowboy universe, and you were basically playing like the embodiment of all of Clint Eastwood's spaghetti western characters, like combined. So just a really grizzled old cowboy, and you get tasked with having to go find this kid who's been abducted by this cult, and it turns out the cult's made up of vampires or whatever. And you know, very cool setting, very dark for that era. Again, this was like. I think this was even pre the first Resident Evil. Like, so it was like super uh, unique to be able to experience just like a very mature setting. And, and then it had some really bad rail shooter segments in between. But, but I digress. There's a particular segment that stumped me forever. And, and um, thankfully, my brother went through and actually beat the game. So I know that it's possible. But there's a particular puzzle that you need to get this emblem because each time you collect an item, it advances the game clock and you need it to be midnight in order to proceed to the next phase of the game. So I had found everything. It's like stuck at 11 o'clock and apparently there's a statue that you can see because it's a point and click. So you click on everything on the screen, right? You can see there's a statue, but there's like, I think maybe one mention of something on it but there's no like gleaming component there's no nothing drawing your attention to it it just seems like something in the background but apparently you have to like use a tool from your inventory to pull out something from said statue and that's what advances the game clock and i could never figure it out as a kid and it pisses me off to this day because i actually enjoyed a, a relatively mediocre title i mean i, I am the dung defender, of course, but pretty mediocre PlayStation original PlayStation title, but I enjoyed it and rented it multiple times and always got stuck on that stupid thing. And uh, it's another one that to this day, like haunts me because it, I'm so angry. I didn't get to complete it for that very reason. So yeah, in, non-intuitive puzzles piss me the hell off. And I am absolute agreement on that. Yeah. The, those are the worst. Uh, which makes my next one a little bit more of a sting for me because uh, I went with Elder Scrolls V uh, Skyrim. And this one is like just kind of one of those puzzle situations where it's a full sky and it's a tomb, which if you played Skyrim, there's hundreds of tombs and there's just all sorts of books and literature. If you think it's dense in Witcher 3, I, I think it's more dense in Skyrim with like the literature that they have in there because... With Witcher 3, it could be like a page, maybe like a page and a half on some of this stuff, maybe longer on rare ones. But in Skyrim, they have like full on fucking books where it's like dedicated to lore. So um, I go in this tomb and, you know, I remember, you know, clearly 
and it's just like another tomb more reading material and i'm just kind of like bored of these now at this point and there's this riddle that you got to solve and pretty much uh they give you they give you the answer in the book right so if you're paying attention and you're still interested and you're still wanting to slog through like every piece of literature that you find in a goddamn tomb you'll have the answer <laughs> But I was not interested in looking through that. I saw the book. It came up on the screen. I hit OK. And then I start trying to attack this puzzle. And there's four, you know, four options you need to plug in, which is snake, bear, fox, and wolf. And I just just kept, you know, I was like, all right, time to start rolling the dice. So I was like, start plugging in stuff. I was like, what I thought the strongest, the weakest, or all this kind of stuff. Like, and... I just couldn't get the answer, so I eventually like just cracked. I looked it up, you know, and the, the answer ends up becoming snake, bear, fox, and wolf. And you know, I looked back at the book and I said, I was like, "Fuck, this thing was like right in front of my face. Like I could have gone through this without it." And um, so that that totally flips over the fact that like I think sometimes even though the answers in there, you just get you're too bored to look for it. You know, you might be tired of it. And, you know, the closest I came to that, at least close to my mind or immediately, is God of War with some of the puzzles in there where I was just like, oh, it's this one again, you know, or this one. And it didn't stop me from getting it done because you didn't have to really read something to finish those puzzles in there. But this one, you had to slog through a book to really understand or else you're pulling up a guide, which I ended up doing. So, um, but yeah, you solve that puzzle and then you get out of the tomb and then, you know, you're on to your next like cave or tomb in Skyrim. So yeah, no, I, I definitely feel your pain with uh, some of those. Um, I've been guilty of having to use guides just when I've like encountered something where I understand what is being asked of me, but I have zero interest in actually wanting to dedicate the time necessary to figure it out on my own. I'll give it a few shots and then I'm just like, I, I'm just going to skip this one. So I, I'd, Maybe I'm not the don't have the most integrity as a gamer in that regard, but but there are certain titles where you just reach that wall of just being like I I don't care enough to to dedicate my time to this one. Speaking of dedicating too much time to puzzles, Jack, what you got for us next? Nice segue there, buddy. That was good. Um, yeah, I, I put a lot of time. Uh, well, shit, you you mentioned it. I'll, I'll talk about the witness uh, and. One of the things I really like about this game is that if you run into a puzzle that's too hard, there basically there's like 12 routes you can go, and you only need to beat nine of them to beat the game. So I, I did beat the, the witness without using any sort of guides, and I'm pretty stoked about that. You know, it's, just, it's not an easy game, but there were two two routes that one has these like tree branches that cast shadows on this on this uh, board behind it. And, you know, the game's all about, like, drawing lines and stuff. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is easy. I'll just... And look, I looked up the answer for this after I finished the game. And I looked at the answer online, and I still did not understand how it made sense. So that one really pissed me off. And the other ones that pissed me off in that game were the, um, the noise... There was these noise puzzles where like birds were chirping and you had to like match their chirps to like where you put the lines. 
I don't have any rhythm. I don't have any like sense of music. And I tried for so long. And once again, I looked it up online just to, just to see. And I still, it, it just made me feel like such a, an asshole that I could look up the answer online for these music ones. And still I was completely like, what? Which, you know, <laughs> if you've ever seen me dance or try and sing along something would make a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, it's just fucking. Those, that's those that's really awesome good. that even when you have the answers and you're matching it up, you still can't like piece together how the fuck this works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty much it. Well, if it um, makes you feel any better, Jack, and uh, kudos to you. I mean, completing that game without a guide is is actually very damn impressive. Because I was going to say, like, that's how I felt after like the first puzzle it was pretty much everything I counted was just like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? There's nothing telling me what to do. Why is there nothing trying to kill me? Why is there no sound or music? Why is my character so slow? Man, that is that is the best part about video game. One of my favorite things about video games is when they teach you how to play without teaching you. Uh, something I got to say, Witcher 3 does pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I play a lot dumber titles than that. Case in point, my next one. Uh, it's an old uh, PlayStation era game. I think this was PS2, but Onimusha which was a um, Capcom game. Basically, they just took Resident Evil and they changed the main character into a samurai. And you got to go around, hack up zombies in that fashion. A pretty decent title. Uh, not like overly impressive. I think there's a reason they abandoned it. But uh, fun, and definitely amazing when you're a kid. But um, there's a cold place in hell for developers to create those uh, slider puzzles that they have. <laughs> Um, which again, the witness, that was my experience, but, um, I, I watched a video uh, recently of a few streamers. It was like a compilation of them all playing through Resident Evil four. And there's a pretty infamous slider puzzle in that one. And it, it gave me anxiety watching it because realizing that they're live streaming this and just how like obnoxious slider puzzles are, because you're either going to complete it in five seconds or it's going to take you 15 minutes of doing the same thing over and over and over again until you eventually just kind of fall into it by pure dumb luck. So anyway, Oni, the Onimusha uh, water trap puzzle is no exception to this. It's a classic just like move shit around and basically a, a flat version of a Rubik's Cube. But um, the wrinkle to this one is that as this is occurring, your protagonist is also trapped in a water trap that is filling. So you're on a timer and you die if you fail this puzzle. So you have this added element of like panic combined with the fact that it's an, a really obnoxious puzzle that I'm sure if you make the first two moves wrong, like you're completely screwed for the next 10 minutes. So um, definitely one of those ones that like, I didn't have as many strong memories of it. In fact, I had to, my brother reminded me of this one when we were just kind of casually chatting the other day. But uh, the second he did, it was like a flood of just like memories of just like countless frustrated, you know, maybe a controller thrown here or there, just of not being able to figure something out, particularly on a very short amount of time. So yeah, that, that one plagues me to this day of just like, fuck you. Me and Dave. The worst. Yeah, me and Dave have definitely spent some time over the last couple of years uh, playing co-op puzzle games where the water levels rising. <laughs> I think it's happened in a couple different games, so we feel we feel your pain. Uh, Breakout Academy or 
or Escape Academy. Escape Academy, yep. Was, that was yeah, one reason. And they're like, I fucking hate these goddamn times. <laughs> and you know, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, a year previous we played um, uh, We Were Here. Oh, yeah. And that had the same, yeah, water level rising where, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, brutal. It's, it's a definite, like, linchpin within the puzzle community. Uh, this next one, I got I got a couple more, but this next one is from Disco Elysium. And this is in the field of puzzles where um, there isn't really any guide, you know, and, and it's beyond, like, not being intuitive because this puzzle is... Like just another like it it's not a puzzle to really get through the game. It's just a puzzle to unlock a character which pushes like another part of this story that you're involved with in this world, Revishal. And it's this character, Egghead, who, you know, like are camping outside of a church and they're aspiring musicians and they they want to do a dance club. And there's this kid named Egghead on there who just all he says is like so hardcore so hardcore and he's you know even his portrait's got like you know headphones on that kind of stuff and he looks like your dj and uh so as you progress this quest um there comes a point where you need to get egghead to like speak to you in order for him to do something and this will put you into like the third act of this quest and allow you to finish it up but um basically you got to talk to him some like 14 times with the answer being stay silent and then there's a certain cue, but here's the thing. Stay silent isn't the only option. There's other options that you can ask them. So it's very, very easy to fuck up. Um, and so eventually it gets to a point where you say, uh, oh, yeah, so hardcore, you know, and then it is as an answer. And then there's one more option where it goes, the question is, what is the question? And then that's when Egghead, like, becomes a character that you can interact with and you, you get a little bit more character depth out of him, but... I tried for so long on this game to like figure out how the fuck do I get Egghead to talk to me to the point where I just looked it up online because I mean, I'm willing to vote time to something, you know, with grinding or collecting stuff you're accumulating. So it's definitely going to make it better, but having to like think this puzzle out, like ultimately once I got the answer, it was like, who the fuck sat here and actually like, went down this intuitively <laughs> you know was able to be like oh yeah just stay quiet until you get prompted at the right time and hopefully you catch that right prompt and this is something i hate um puzzles that developers throw in there specifically for people who look up shit online i hate that yeah so yeah that that's that's especially for somebody who plays as many puzzle titles as you. That's just kind of a, the ultimate f you from a developer in a lot of ways. Um, d- that one brought me back. This this one's an honorable mention because I it didn't plague me, but it would have been very hard had I not been briefed on it in reading, uh, like just a game preview magazine because you know they would always litter them with pro tips, but. Uh, I remember Final Fantasy VI or three over here in the States, um, which is one of my favorite games of all time. But there's a particular stage where you can abandon a, uh, one of the main characters. Like he basically he dies and he's forever gone if you don't wait for him to catch up to your party before you depart from this particular area. But the only way it gets triggered is if you actually like reach the point where you jump off. Is and, that Ninja? Yeah. Okay shadow and um but the only way you can get prompted to wait for him 
is you have to reach the edge, decide not to jump, walk away, and then come back to it. And then it gives you a chance to like, it prompts you and says like, got to wait for shadow to come back or whatever. But um, definitely one of those things, like I believe the first time I played it, when I rented over a weekend, I just dove off the damn thing and he was dead forever. And then found it, like I said, reading up in just a magazine. So um, yeah, anytime like there's a puzzle like that, I always like think of just like how easy it would be to just completely miss like such a cool thing, which I think is the point of these but um, I do appreciate being in the era where I can look it up and find out on the internet if I'm going to completely botch my experience because of one stupid thing that some developers had to slip in there to be a little more c- clever than the rest. Uh, Jack, what do you have for your next one here? Uh, I'll use my uh, next one as an opportunity to uh, kind of showcase a really cool puzzle game called Line Light, one that nobody nobody knows about but if you like puzzle games this is a really cool uh basically minimalist puzzle game line light it really is you're just a basically a line of light and you go along this um this path hitting um you know you basically you hit switches real just fundamental basics that build on each other uh, but it's got a real nice aesthetic and um they kind of really build in some solid puzzles and it's all about the puzzles. I mean, you're not doing anything else. So if, if you just like kind of like to dive into to a game like that, it's, it's, it's perfect. However, I got every single thing I needed for the platinum in that game. Uh, I was missing one, one like uh, collectible or whatever it was. And I went through this game, you know, I'm stubborn. I did not want to look this shit up. I went through everything over and over again i was so confused i probably spent half the time i spent doing the whole video game just looking for this it's finally i look it up online and they pulled the goddamn from software on me where there was one just one in the entire game invisible wall and (laughs) there was nothing showing that i should have found said invisible wall Nope, I just didn't didn't continue going straight when I should have because if I had, it would have just sprouted out, leading to this collectible collectible I was missing. And for such a just really solid, just by the book puzzle game, I really pissed me off that they did this. I wasted so much of my time. And as you were saying, intuitive, intuitive. It wasn't. It was just it was basically just a troll move by the developers to see how hardcore you were. Yeah, the invisible wall was it definitely in that realm of what we were talking about. Dave, you had mentioned just like the puzzles where it's like, I could probably figure this out on my own, but I would not give the shit to roam around and hit every wall to figure out where this damn thing is. Like, I remember encountering that one dungeon in, El- in Elden Ring, and just the second I realized that's what was going on, I just re- hightailed it to the first bonfire. <laughs> Summon in some shit bucket who just charged through, oh. you know, some guy who's got like every piece of armor in the game and he's just smashing on all the various areas. Like it was great, but yeah, zero interest in figuring that out on my own for that reason. Exactly. Um, so my next title um, in that same vein, actually just a minor irritant, like not something that should bug me as much. Um, not even really a truly a puzzle all that much, but it's, of a title that I've recently played. So I figured it's worth bringing up resident evil village. There's one collectible that I missed in this. And 
this was a game that wasn't going to go for a platinum. I knew that, but usually when I've made that decision, if I'm not going to go for the platinum, at the very least, I kind of set a rule where it's like, okay, I'm going to, at the very least, defeat every possible boss and find every collectible that's marked on the map, and we'll call that good. That That's my jump off point. So that was my intention with this one, but there's one thing marked on my map forever. My save is forever tainted because of this one bullshit area where if you don't walk by a certain crypt at a particular point in the, t- the game, this one zombie doesn't get triggered to open up a crypt. It allows you to pick up a key, which allows you to dig up something or a tombstone at one point. And I completely missed it. By the time I figured out that that was what was going on, it was way after I had passed the checkpoint that allows you to go back and collect it. And so to this day, I'm forever pissed that I was robbed of being able to complete my little like task I'd <laughs> set for myself with this tile before I finally beat it. So uh, even though it's a really dumb puzzle, it still has that impact to this day with me. So th- these things matter. <laughs> yeah, the Re- the Resident Evil puzzles are they're strong in the goofiness of some of these and like how easy it is to miss. Uh, I remember the first game being like so puzzle heavy, but most of it was find the key or find some sort of chunk that you just plug in. And, you know, that kind of made it a lot easier. It wasn't too much of the, you know, like thought out process. I don't typically like puzzles that are like inserted into these action adventure games, but village actually had one of my favorites and that's where, um, you're in an area where the zombie keeps coming back to life and nowhere else in the game does this happen where you just have this consistent, um, you know, over and over again, they come back. So instantly, uh, well, not instantly, like over time, I was like, wait a minute, they're trying to tell me something. And sure enough, you got to light him on fire and use him to light these uh, pyres on fire. And I just, I don't know. I thought that was just really solid um, puzzle, puzzle making for, for a non-puzzle game. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate a few of them. Like they were pretty straightforward, but um, there was that one I know we discussed too at the uh, recording where there's uh, I, I forget what the prompt is, but it basically tells you to look out the window and that's right when the like pops up and it's like one of the little minor jump scares in it, but similar sort of thing where it was just like well-crafted like design around like a pretty basic puzzle that, kind of keeps you like immersed in the experience beyond just blowing shit up and, and, you know, chasing after your kid. Well, the funny thing with that puzzle, Jack, is I just saw it as a way to save ammo. So I was, I was like, maybe I can catch these assholes on fire and fucking not spend my bullets on shit, you know, or like get close. So I think just out of survival mode, like that's how I ended up. So it's like, I'll use anything I can get my hands on. Hmm, that's Give cool. Bricks. <laughs> um so my my next and last one is a bit tonning cheek and i want to drum roll on this <laughs> super puzzle fighter 2 turbo not only is it a puzzle game but my jack just whoops my ass so easily on this game to the point where it's just maddening like how much effort i put in trying to stack his shit up while he kind of sits there like eh, eh, oh oh yeah this next one's gonna be good dave and it's like and it's like 90% of my box is full of garbage that I can't fucking use while this like sick chain combo is just sitting like entombed in all this garbage and yeah I was just sitting there I was like man what what would be a really good one to add on to this list and it's like how about a game that's 
it's a puzzle, right? You know, you, oh, you're doing this puzzle, I, but you're also, really annoying. <laughs> you are fighting another human being. So, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever get any gratification from that game until I start playing your kid's Jack at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's shiny enough. It's got the cute, like, fucking bobblehead figures of all the, the Street Fighter guys. And it's like, uh, one day I'll put Quinn and Kennedy on it. And Crush I'll, them. I'll, I'm going to whip their ass. <laughs> <laughs> But I, was I have like, I have uh, fired that up for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't dig it as much as yeah. Um, I will talk about another aspect of puzzle games I do not like, and that is when puzzle games are too fucking fudging hard. We'll what? pause for station <laughs> identification here. Yeah. This is the Couch Co-op Video Game Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much for joining you us. Want, you know, <laughs> go for it. All right. Um, that, what, what was I saying? So, um, too look, I'm fudging hard. Some, I'm, I'm just going to drop some uh, The Bridge. Ridiculously difficult. Combinera is a game I played last year that was really good. But I got about halfway through, and it was just too difficult. Um, my my greatest is, example of this is uh, the Talus Principle, which is um, probably my second favorite puzzle game of all time behind Catherine. And without guides, I got through everything in that game. Um, and then you get to the end of the DLC – and they just have these six puzzles waiting for you. And basically it's like, congratulations, you got this far. Two middle fingers extended at you. And um, the escalation and difficulty on those six puzzles is absolutely insane. So I have this tainted platinum because I looked those puzzles up and I completed them. And holy cow, I would never, I, I could have spent a year on those. I don't think I would have figured them out. Um, and so I have this tainted platinum where I have these six puzzles that I used online, but to my, um, pleasant surprise today, when I was looking up most difficult puzzles, uh, online, that was, uh, in somebody's list for most, most difficult puzzles in video games of all time. So I was like, okay, it's not just me. Uh, and they basically said that it, it's insane and you're not going to be able to figure it out without looking it up online. So, hey. In that same vein, uh, I have to bring up, this isn't even a particular puzzle, it's a title in itself, which I would argue is an easy entrant to the Hall of Fame of messed up, annoying, overly complex puzzles, and that's King's Quest V. You can make a strong case for almost any Sierra title, honestly, but... King's Quest V, I think, takes the cake because there's too many moments in this game that I recall where you can completely botch your entire save with by neglecting to pick up an item or by mistakenly dropping an item or eating an item. Like there, at one point in this game, I remember you're given a pie, and like a natural thing to do in a game like this is click on like use, and then of course your character eats it. Well, if you eat that pie. You then, if you get to about the like two thirds way point of the game, you encounter this Yeti that charges you. It's literally the only quick time moment in the game. If you don't have that pie in your inventory to throw at him, you die. So 
your game is completely ruined if you would, don't have that pie in your inventory by the time you encounter the CIA. There's zero indication that's a possibility. In my research today, uh, that is on several lists online. Yeah, look, there's there's plenty of point and click adventures. Like Discworld is infamous for being incredibly hard. Yeah, that was another. Uh, Grim Fandango has a few puzzles that are incredibly hard, but. The thing that stood out to me with King's Quest, because again, it was, I just remember playing this title multiple times and there were just so many things that if you miss all those hours of gameplay are just wiped because you, you can't, you can't save that save file. Like you have to start all over and go again. That's just a level of deviousness that like is just absurd to me. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean. Again, I, I was able to beat it. I'm sure I used, like, there weren't online guides when I played it, but it was definitely one of those where I picked up some things along the way, like in books or whatever. But, yeah, forever in the Hall of Fame for me of messed up puzzle games. See, I think that's what, like, a younger generation just wouldn't understand is how shitty video games used to be. That, that Those kind of things were acceptable. You know, like, that was like, oh, you get extra gameplay because the game tricked you into dying. So you get to play it all over again. As <laughs> now, if, if that had been to any of this younger generation, they would just be like, what the Cancel. fuck? On to the next. <laughs> I remember encountering the first title where I died like three times at something and the prompt came up, just said, D- would you like to skip? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? You know how many weekends I dedicated to playing some terrible game I didn't enjoy all like Fester's Quest <laughs> just to try to complete some stupid puzzle because I had rammed my head in the wall for hours on end. So yeah, I mean, this is, I, this you're on dial-up. Yeah. You know, we didn't even have, we didn't have like the slow internet yet. <laughs> If it wasn't on the playground, you were fucked. <laughs> yeah, and every now and then you'd be playing a title where the playground kid would lie to you, and then you were really <laughs> host. So I remember that happening with me with the first Resident Evil a few times, where it was just like, oh my god, that just messed me up for weeks. All right, um, gentlemen, any other titles to add to the annoying video game puzzle list? Well, this is like outside of the whole annoying factor but having just played escape academy where i felt like the puzzles are really well balanced like there was a challenge but yet that answer was there or there's some intuitive thing that made it really easy um i i can't say like most of the puzzles i played in games like i either get through it or you know there's only a handful where i'm really impressed but i mean it was really fun to go through and like have to really dig up some memories and some points in my gaming history where I was like, man, just fuck this shit. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. Or I I had to do the right thing in the right order, like very specifically in order to get this done, which is bullshit, you know? So, um, you know, and thanks to Jack because puzzle games are never my thing. And it was like through Jack finding these co-op puzzle games that really brought joy to it, you know, for me. So, um, as much fun as this is too, I'm gonna say like there are there are puzzles out there that are very gratifying and a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean I gotta say, um, as much as I love just kind of putting my head down and and burrowing through a a good puzzle game, in the last two three years, I think all of my favorites have been co-op with Dave. So um, yeah, yeah, I mean it takes two had some puzzles in there. Yeah, and it was you know like. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a lot of fun when I think when you do puzzles with co-op kind of stuff, you have to force 
like some stuff that kind of guides you in the right direction and you know i think that's what kind of makes a better puzzle game than something like the witness where <laughs> you're walking at a very slow pace and you're drawing lines between points so and with no music and no, <laughs> no enemies <music>. no <laughs> sound god no, uh, you, yeah, yeah, braid. You dis, you 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 insult braid. You insult the witness. Well, I think that's where it lies, though, is because I just don't want to acknowledge that the guy's a genius who created it. So it's my way of getting back and being like, I don't like that you're smarter than me. So <laughs> it's just that whole locker room mentality. Um, but I think you're on to something there, boys. I, I think that, you know, this this podcast is called Couch Co-op for a reason. We all grew up in the video game era, as we established, where some of the better memories of childhood are sitting on a couch next to your friends, playing through whatever title you happen to have on hand. And there is something magical about playing a puzzle together, be it in a co-op game or just on your own with a buddy, you know, either on the mic or by your side, because it is neat to have to put your heads together and try to like see which way and kind of work through the process in that manner. So, or, you know, it's super cool when you're playing together and you can see your buddy's character like milling around or trying a different route or exploring different areas you wouldn't consider, or sometimes just leading you when you're kind of like confused as what to do. So um, I think that there is something to be said for all that. Um, I'm going to leave it off with this last title um, because I think that this is the most devious puzzle ever created in a video game. And I want your opinion on it. I don't know if I mentioned it before or not, but X-Men on the Sega Genesis. That's incredibly difficult game. Very, very bullshit, especially for how exciting it, it appeared in the marketing. Like this was the first like superhero thing that really like captured like what you wanted from your superheroes, especially as a kid. And, you know, growing up in the comic book age and all that, that was awesome. So everyone wanted to play this title and it was so damn hard. But I, I remember with the aid of a game genie, my buddy and I played through this one and you get to one of the levels, I believe, um, Mojo uh, towards the end of the game. And it's asking you, it, it you reach the conclusion of the level and it's telling you reset the computer, reset the computer. And there's literally no computer present. <laughs> there's no prompt. There's nothing indicating like a button, like hit this here. So you frantically are running around. And mind you, you're a dumb kid at the time who's probably has to return this game in an hour to the blockbuster without getting a late fee. So the mom's yelling at you every like 10 minutes to say, hurry up and finish. And you cannot for the life of you figure out what they mean by reset the computer. And what the developers managed to do in this is they managed to turn the reset button on the actual system into a button to pro to actually trigger the next sequence of the game. Now that is the most terrifying thing as a kid who knows that you lose all your data. Cause that was before most games actually had like save states. Like everything was either a password that took in 20 minutes to enter manually, or it was just didn't exist. You had to start from the beginning. And I'm pretty certain the X-Men you started from the beginning. So the thought of teasing a kid and, and forcing them to consider the fact that you would hit the reset button on your actual console, which I have yet to hear of another game that has used that button for anything but a reset. So that to me is the most devious fucked up puzzle in video games. What are your thoughts, boys? No, I that's anybody, I think anybody who uses a game genie got what's coming to them. <laughs> 
Oh. You don't know how to live, Jack. It's apparent by enjoying <laughs> the freaking witnesses. Your paradise from everyday doldrums <laughs> of your life, as opposed to the bright, magical world of X Men with unlimited superhero use, superpower usage. I actually, I, um, I always had a lot of animosity for kids who had Game Genies growing up because we weren't able to, I wasn't able to buy like hardware, you know, like that wasn't a thing. If I got a game, it was because I like paid my friend to sell it to me for cheap on the low. So my parents wouldn't find out. And then finally when I was like 14, I found uh, 13. I had a buddy who, who sold me his game genie and it, it was, it was pretty nice. <laughs> it was also hilarious back in the older days. Cause it would literally just break the game and you would see it like happening before you like half the time. I remember on the Nintendo game genie, it was just, you could see the game like struggling to load because it was just being forced to do something it wasn't intended to. So, um, Pretty remarkable, actually, when you think about it, like that you basically had to code in passwords through this weird device, and it was like, just something we physically onto your game, like try yeah, explaining that to somebody it, under the age of twenty. And you just picked it up intuitively somehow. It's like, oh yeah, here's your big book of codes. Figure it out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had to plug the game into that, and then you plug the game and the game genie into your Nintendo, and mm-hmm. then you were able to enter in the codes. But yeah, I, uh, I I found a number of sites that reference what you're talking about, Matt. And I know you've mentioned it on this pod before as well. So, um, I mean, look, Dave started this whole conversation off with saying how annoying it is when puzzles are not intuitive. And that is not intuitive in any way, shape, or form. So yes, that is just just horrible design. Yeah, yeah that's that's a nuke of in like non-intuitive puzzles. Like because yeah. you're right, you know, like that was instantly restarting like hours worth of work. You know, like blood, sweat, and tears, like getting through that like fucking point with barely any health in, and then it's like, oh, I just yeah. I'm going to reset it and possibly start all over again. Yeah, it's it's so obnoxious. I was going to say, for those of us, like in my case, I had a younger brother who I went through the age before he was really old enough to understand what was going on, where he just like randomly hit the power button. And, <laughs> and so you have all those meltdowns when you're going through that. So, yeah, I, I can only imagine like how many children were just completely ruined by that experience because it played with their trust man that, that that's just unacceptable like how dare you <laughs> trying to set us up for our futures <laughs> all right well as well with that all being said it's been most annoying video game puzzles this is couch co-op video game podcast thank you so much for listening take care